Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment, and it's officially Oscars week after a long, <laughs> long, <laughs> long lead up. We are finally here at the end of film year 2020, uh, right in the heart of 2021. And honestly, Mike, this year was so goddamn long. And we spent so much of our energy just literally trapped indoors doing nothing but breaking down these races. I'm actually wondering on this, mm-hmm. our uh, Oscars prediction special episode, how many times you and I are really going to actually differentiate. I have no idea because you didn't write all your picks in the doc because you <laughs> like to keep me guessing. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to be surprised if we differentiate all that much. I think mm. this year has formed consensus at the Oscars with award season, like the long 16 month season has done that there. Mm -hmm. So it's done this same thing to us in a way. I mean, I just wore you down on certain things. You wore me down on many others, many (laughs) others. And yeah, we're here. Uh, We're not ready to put this year to bed yet though. I'll be uh, the champagne's on ice, but we're not ready to pop it. Uh, in, In true Mike, Mike and Oscar fashion, it wouldn't be, you know, MMO without something going horribly wrong on top of the super stressful week to come here. So if our audio, by the way, is a little odd for this episode, we apologize in advance for that. I'm actually using a backup microphone because wouldn't you know it, the mixer that we have just decided to use today, Monday of Oscars week to just decide to not work and not be able to be powered on. Hopefully we will have that issue addressed for our very next episode fingers crossed uh god willing so again our apologies if the sound is a bit off but all right let's dive in let's talk about our predictions for oscars 2021 uh much like in previous years for our predictions episode we're going to rely on the gambling lines the odds that are out there primarily on odds checker a bunch of different books uh like we've done in previous years we've had rafael esparza on our good buddy there that sets lines this year it's just going to be mike and i breaking it down and going through it so let's start with the biggest category first mike best picture what do we have for odds at best picture well nomadland is an even heavier favorite at minus 700 now we have been Mm -hmm. following these lines for a while mike i don't know why i'm doing my sportscaster voice this much (laughs) but it's just coming out ready to lose money baby i'm ready to lose money to the trial of the chicago (laughs) seven at plus 600 and yeah minari's at plus 1400 promising young young woman plus 1800 so 14 to 1 18 the one and that's just spots three and four so we're looking at a two-horse race up top and mike we have not seen anything beyond like an eight nine to one win at Mm -hmm. any of our oscars yet on oscar sunday what were the longest odds that have won that you can recall i remember an eight nine to one short film I remember Golden Globes odds at 20 to 1, 25 to 1 in some cases. I think Olivia, yeah, I think Olivia on Oscar Sunday closed at 6 to 1 when she beat Glenn Close, uh, something like that, or at least opened that Sunday before the line started shifting. So, yeah, I mean, Oscar Sunday isn't where you bet the long shot. It's and that's not. kind of the, the the hammer the the message I was trying to hammer when we did our Golden Globes betting like Golden Globes you can make a lot of money yeah. Rosamund Pike made people money 
you know, but that 14 to one isn't going to come in, at least not in the biggest categories, maybe in some of the shorts where there's just not that much knowledge out there about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You can make a little money, but this one, you're, every field is usually whittled down to about two, maybe three picks at the most, unless it's this year's lead actress. Yeah. You got to you got to bet car to win car seat. Right. Exactly. Or car to win tire in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's Nomadland at that minus 700. So again, Nomadland minus 700, Chicago 7 plus 600, Minari plus 1400, Promising Young young Woman plus, plus 1800, Judas and the Black Messiah a plus 4000 long shot. Same with Mank plus 4000. The Fathers plus 8000. Sound of Metal is plus 12,500. So just put 10 bucks on Sound of Metal. <laughs> and you never know, maybe, maybe and you're, you're on easy street, baby. You got a, you got a, you know, down payment for something really, really fun. <laughs> maybe You never know. All right. So, uh, yes, that's, that's to say that everything you can win money on except Nomadland, where you actually have to pay $7 to get every $1 of profit back. That's how the odds work. As opposed to say trial of Chicago seven, every $1 you bet you win $6 of profit back. If trial of the Chicago seven wins. Okay. Let's start talking about our predictions here. Mm-hmm. Mike, is there any hope for Trial of the Chicago 7 or anything that isn't named Nomadland? I did some more Crash Chicago 7 comparisons, and mm-hmm. they're actually there. They're there to be made, but you're betting on the exception rather than the rule. But Crash in 2000 and 2004, 2005, they're, they both had six Oscar nominations. Crash wound up with three three wins on the night, including Best Film Editing and Original Screenplay. Go figure, right? Because mm. <laughs> Trial of Chicago 7 is probably the, the renewed frontrunner, or at least it's close in editing. And Original Screenplay is probably the next best chance it has, right. correct? So they both also have the SAG Ensemble win. And I think that's the big momentum build that Crash had in 2004-2005. The differences, it, and there's a bunch of differences, but Crash had two BAFTAs, had much more momentum, and had sustained momentum because it was essentially sweeping in the original screenplay and in the uh, the editing category, and it was winning ensembles, and it was getting extra actors nominated like Thandie Newton at the BAFTAs, mm-hmm. etc. So it was a different beast back in 2004-2005, but it is a comparison. And this would be very reminiscent of Crash winning Best Picture, for us anyway, if Trial of the Chicago 7 pulls out the Best Picture upset here. I think this Best Picture race is kind of a lose-lose, at least as far as we go as pundits. Because, and I, I mean, I'm not even trying trying to speak disparagingly, surprisingly, for once about this year. But, like, either Nomadland wins, and we end up crowning the same winner that's been the front runner since people first saw that film, mm-hmm. or... Trial of the Chicago 7 wins, and the one film that absolutely should not be considered a Best Picture in any year beyond, like, 1995 Mm -hmm. is crowned Best Picture in 2021. It's the lone competitor, especially, like you said, because of its Ace Eddie victory. Film editing, we're going to get to uh, as one of the last categories in this show. It should be an interesting one to battle out. I've already said my piece, though, about this. I I don't think you can be a serious pundit and actually predict anything other than Nomadland without saying you're doing so just to be different or just to have clickbait full stop end of story. I mean, I don't know what narrative or angle, and you're going to hear me say this a few times in this show, mm-hmm. I don't know what your angle is to say that the front runner isn't your pick if you're sincerely basing your guess or your prediction on facts, on some kind of narrative, on some information, on stuff we already know that happened. So unless you're going to say that Nomadland did end up suffering that fatigue of the last couple of weeks that settled in just in time for Oscar voters and Academy voters to, to vote. 
I don't see how Nomadland can't be a universal prediction. And now with all that said, it's probably a good time for me to bring up that La La Land was also <laughs> minus 700 as a favorite going into its Oscars night where Moonlight was also a plus 550 plus 600 underdog when Moonlight won. So who knows? That's a great point. And, and, and again, that's a precedent. But you're betting on... You're betting on the long long shot in this case. That's even longer than than Moonlight. Technically, basing basing it on award season resumes, right. Moonlight had a much right. better resume mm-hmm. because it won it won. I think two th- big things right at the end there. Won the uh, anyway. Won two big things at the end. I don't remember. Excuse me, but we didn't have a podcast back then. But this cloud <laughs> in front of me kind of looks like Avi Kaufman's hair. And I did see a van. It wasn't a white van, but I did see a, a, a van that kind of looked like it could have been lived in, had a flat tire on the side of the road mm-hmm. like three and a half months ago. So You're getting the biblical signs is what you're saying. There's a couple of omens there that might <laughs> indicate that we, we're getting something different. But it, you're right. I think I think we're serious about betting Nomadland here. We're serious about picking Nomadland here. Yeah. We got to pick Nomadland for best picture. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for value from a betting... I mean, Nomadland is my prediction. It's your prediction as well. If you're looking for value in a betting sense, uh, you have to understand and be okay with the fact that you're probably throwing your money away. And you shouldn't bet on Nomadland because there's absolutely no value in a minus 700 favorite. So I'd maybe sprinkle... If you're dying to bet on this, maybe I'd go on Minari for a few bucks because that's one of two films in this category I can see as being universally on enough top threes and fours on ballots to eke out a preferential win mm-hmm. in that it's inoffensive and relatable and emotional and there's a great story there. But the only problem with that angle, again, is that the other movie of the two that are like that is Nomadland, which is the favorite anyway. So exactly. I don't I don't see I don't see any logic in betting this category. Well that's the big thing we just talked about with Eric. Like Nomadland, if it does go to preferential ballot, has the edge there, you mm-hmm. would think. So right, exactly. It's looking like Nomadland. We shall see, and we'll be happily surprised. And it, with a lot of these categories, we'll be happily surprised, and, and we'll kind of give it the golf clap nod. Otherwise, it'll make the recap show a lot easier. <laughs> That's for sure, <laughs> Michael. Director, we have Chloe Zhao. Nomadland minus twenty five hundred. That is a huge favorite mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen a favorite that big lose. So it's it's looking like a sure thing. I've been he- I've been hearing all the pundits say as much. Fincher is next plus a thousand from Mank. Uh, Emerald Fennel, promising young woman plus sixteen hundred. Lee Isaac Chung plus sixteen hundred. Thomas Vinterberg is a long shot from another round plus twenty eight hundred. This is Chloe's Oscar. And Zhao, her <laughs> end is here, and so we face a final curtain. The Eternals await over there. She'll crush that too. Of this I'm certain. This movie, she directed actors and real nomads (laughs) on the highways. (laughs) And for this, and much more than this, Chloe's gonna have a Big day. I uh, I don't know what to say. To that <laughs> I get best original song now. I get it. I, I win best original song. I was gonna Oscars. give you a clap, but you know what? I think I think. What are we Frank gonna talk should... about? This category's locked up. Yes, 
No, it's just my face is so red right now. I can't believe you turned <laughs> Frank Sinatra, who is who? <laughs> Frank Sinatra in my house. <laughs> oh my god! Into a Chloe Zhao song. They, they, yeah, that's that's an interesting choice by you on a cover. Thank you. Twenty five. You have to bet twenty five dollars to win one dollar of profit on Chloe Zhao, and she's not even the heaviest favorite we're going to talk about, according to Vegas. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on to the next category. I think uh, I think the last eleven times a director has won the Globe Choice at DGA, <laughs> three, they've won, and that was the stat we've mentioned previously. Uh, you got more copy here. I'm just gonna compose myself. Oh uh, no, my copy was my song. Do you want me to sing it again? Is that what you're saying? I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking we move on. I think. Uh, <laughs> Think, uh, I think uh, I think you, you don't want too much music in a in a three hour broadcast, right? That's, that's on a what bad we microphone too. I can't wait to hear what this sounds like. That's what we learned from uh, Steven Soderbergh mm-hmm. last right. week. All <laughs> yes. right, Chadwick Boseman is still the heavy heavy favorite from Ma Rainey's at minus two thousand and lead actor. Uh, you don't have a song about Chadwick, though. That's I'm working on one. It's in right. development. Don't rush me. Anthony Hopkins of The Father is a plus 750 underdog. That is much uh, sh- shorter than his like plus 1,000, plus 900 that we've been following for a while, Michael. So he is in uh, he is in striking distance, I would say. Yeah, and rightfully so. Riz Ahmed of Sound of Metals plus 1,200. Gary Oldman and Steven Yun from Mank and Minari there, respectively, are plus 3,300 apiece. Who came up with those numbers? But anyway, they're there. <laughs> as long as they end in zeros, I won't get mad. Um, so this is Vegas, interestingly enough, saying that Chadwick is about as safe a pick as Chloe Zhao is in director, which is kind of shocking because think about what that means the BAFTA win for Hopkins says to Vegas and how much stock Vegas is putting in that win for Hopkins, which is to say not that much. Right. Yes, Hopkins' odds have gotten shorter, but minus 2,000 is uh, it's a huge number for an Oscars favorite right now. you got to pay 20 to win a single dollar in profit. A $100 bet wins you 5 bucks of profit, in other words. Uh, and even I'm still stunned at that price, considering that Bozeman wasn't the one who won on the BAFTA right. stage. But uh, something for us to pocket moving forward here. Are you going to stray from the path at all in picking Chadwick? That's my pick. No, I am not. And the statistical reassurance is how I put it. The last 13 times an actor won a Globe, the Choice, and the SAG, they've gone on to win the Oscar. That is a triple crown that is just tough to beat. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Anthony Hopkins is deserving. I do think Riz Ahmed is deserving. We've called Gary Oldman's performance the best of his career, in in, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Uh, Steven Yun uh, has been banging on the door for years, uh, and he's been an MMO favorite. We're Mm -hmm. we're thrilled that he's here. and He does have a performance that you could distinguish from the other four guys because it is lower key and it is is very subtle. But I do think at the end of the day, Chadwick Boseman, Taylor Simone Ledward needs that moment and it, it, it's it's not just a tribute; it's a worthy win. And let's let's make it happen as an academy, please. I know this is the last day for for uh, things being open. Uh, I guess yeah. I'm re- we're recording it on the last day. So the, any, anyway, uh, just a wasted breath to keep talking <laughs> to the academy. Well, it may be. I mean, hopefully it's a look. Just give it to Chadwick. Hopefully it's a wasted breath at all because Chadwick should win. Well, it's scary because every anonymous ballot that I've read. Has yeah. Hopkins or has Ahmed, and Hopkins yeah, is not even going to be there, right? That's, that's what I keep hearing. But doesn't that doesn't that scream clickbait too? 
Like, isn't doesn't that seem yeah. like, oh, we'll put these out, we'll leak these to get people talking? Anthony Hopkins is at the best exotic Marigold Hotel right now. <laughs> He's He doesn't want to go anywhere near an award show. He's vaccinated, and he's dancing uh, I want, yeah. like Hannibal <laughs> Lecter walking if at the Anthony end of the If Anthony Hopkins wins, I want to see him and the guy from the Six Flags commercials dancing in a hotel room together. That's they, my demand. They both have similar moves. One just does the move very quickly. The, uh, Right. Exactly. Actually, Hopkins Hopkins can go for for that with that beat uh, mm-hmm. with all mm-hmm. of his moves. Just uh, yes. it fits. I, I watched the TikTok way too much. Michael, <laughs> lead actress. We have Carrie Mulligan still as the quote unquote even money favorite here, right? Promising young woman. That. Plus one twenty five at Bovada. Do you hate one twenty five numbers? No, one twenty five is fine. One thirty eight, like you have at Bet three sixty five, that can go to hell. So that's those are the weird numbers that you don't like. And why yeah. don't you like them now? Because it's confusing. because what does that mean? Like, it just you can't you can't push that up to one forty. The books are going to lose that much money on those bets. Stop it. Fives and zeros. Let's be gentlemen about this. Gentlemen use fives and zeros so they can do the math in their head. You want me to make another song? I'll make another song about it. But you can't use Frank Sinatra for a song against, you know, odd and even no- anyway. All right. This town. Oh, God. <laughs> Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, plus 200. And, you know, she's second right now in terms of the betting odds favor. I, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me at the end of the day. Uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but I think okay. two to one right now is great value for her, too. But yeah, keep going. She won the SAG, and her only big miss was at BAFTA. Six wins on the season. Carrie Mulligan had won the season with 27 total wins, including uh, Critics' Choice. But moving on, I have Frances McDormand in the three spot there from Nomadland, plus 350. So that's obviously shortened. Viola Davis has been around that, but I think she's shortened a little bit over time. Uh, uh, but Frances McDormand plus 350 now after her BAFTA win. And she had no misses in terms of nominations that we remember. Uh, mm-hmm. And she had she was a critical darling this season as well with 25 wins overall, second only to Carrie Mulligan. Mike, we have Andrew Day from the United States versus Billie Holiday. She's in that fourth spot, plus 600. This seems much longer than you would think for a Globe drama winner with as big of a moment as she had early this season. Yeah. Uh, but she did miss at SAG and at BAFTA. I think that BAFTA miss hurt her in terms of these odds. Will it hurt her at the Oscars stage? We don't quite know. But Vanessa Kirby is the betting long shot right now from Pieces of a Woman at plus 1,500. And yet, she's got such a strong candidacy that she has no nomination misses uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the season. She has shown up pretty much everywhere, and she started out the season winning Venice and making the most noise at the film festivals. So this is uh, truly a grassroots campaign for Vanessa Kirby throughout the season. She just hasn't, hasn't won enough in the precursors to be considered a favorite. Now, I have no idea how you start here, Michael, but start somewhere, please. So let's talk about some stats going into this. You've listened to us. You know, we've said we've never had a year with five different lead actress winners amongst the four major precursors going into Oscar Sunday, as we do have this year. So, I mean, this is truly a crapshoot, and the odds reflect that. There's no VIG. There's no betting favorite. There's nobody with a minus in front of their name. Mm -hmm. Everybody you put action on, according to Vegas, will give you back a profit if that name wins. So 
let's attack it from the stats. I've already said 10 times since 2000, there's been at least three different lead actress winners amongst the four major precursors, which includes the mandatory two different winners at the Globes. The SAG winner won the Oscar seven of those 10 times, but it's only happened two of the past four times, which have occurred since 2010, okay? Mm-hmm. And you know that already, dear listener, because you're a good and consistent MMO listener, and I love repeating inane stats that I dig <laughs> up. But let's combine it with the other leading category, all right? Okay. There's been seven years since 2000 in which lead actor had at least three different winners among its four precursors. Only three of those seven times did the SAG winner go on to win the Oscar, all three of which have happened in the four times such a setup took place of the precursors since 2008. What makes lead actor unique, though, is that it's actually happened twice since 2000. The Oscar winner won exactly zero precursors, and actually one of those years... 2001, Denzel won the Oscar despite having not only zero precursor wins, but Russell Crowe went in having four precursor wins, so there weren't even three different lead winners anyway. Hmm. Are you confused yet? Okay, I hope so. So I'm going to lay out in layman's terms. (laughs) Combining the categories, lead actress and actor, we've had 17 times since the year 2000. Either leading category has had at least three different winners amongst the four major precursors. 10 of those 17 times in the past 20 years, the SAG winner claimed the Oscar. That's about a 59% clip. If you're looking at just the actress category, that jumps all the way up to about a 70%, or exactly a 70% clip. Mm -hmm. Viola Davis is a star. She's an Academy favorite. She can deliver one of the moments of the nights in speaking about gender equality, racial equality, which she's already gone on the record about numerous times in the lead up to this in this award season. She could talk about the moment of two black leads potentially winning both acting categories. She could talk about her late co-star Chadwick Boseman. There's a lot on the table there for her. Mm-hmm. Add to that fact, no woman has ever won Best Actress having only one Critics' Choice as a precursor. And say what you want about the BAFTAs, but Carrie Mulligan is a BAFTAs favorite. She's been nominated in a surprise already there years ago. She didn't win there this time, which, if you know the Baptist history, like the good, consistent listener you are, dear listener, you've heard us yeah. say the Baptists do have a tendency to lean that yeah. way. And she wasn't, and not only did she not win, but she wasn't even nominated this year. So I think all of this is to say I'm picking Viola Davis. Mm. That's my official prediction. <laughs> if you're looking at where to put money, though, I can make that case after. But I'm curious to hear where you went and how you got there, Mike. Well, I did not uh, do the Sex Panther by Odeon uh, <laughs> rabbit hole like you just did. I just gobbledygook for two minutes. I don't know what was more, what took longer. The <laughs> Frank Sinatra song that you wrote without any jokes in it, or you wrote half a joke in there, or that <laughs> rant, that godforsaken fucking rant but with way too many numbers. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't understand it, so I'm angry about it. Oh, I'm sorry, 2020 film year. Did I bore you? It's not boredom. I just am mad at it because I didn't get it. <laughs> like a lot of movies in my past life. Here's I'll simplify my rationale because Please. at this point you gotta you kind of gotta throw some things out, and you're going on your gut at the end of the day. And unfortunately, I kind of get to where you end and where you land. Because 
the Sags have the best crossover by the numbers if you count Kate Winslet winning in supporting. And I know everybody's like, no, the Globes have the best stat by the combined winners. Not technically. Not technically, again, if you count Kate Winslet, because SAG has 77%, Globe is 57 out of 77, 74%. Critics' Choice and BAFTA, they have some recent uh, crossover, but the further you go back, the worse it gets. Critics' Choice is 56%, BAFTA's only 49%. Now, they have some rough categories at the BAFTAs in terms of a looser connection to the lead actress category, because they used to have Best British Actress and Best Foreign Actress, and they had different, you know, different categories than just mm-hmm. lead. Uh, or, or, and supporting. Now, BAFTA had 9 out of the last 10 and 15 out of the last 20. So that's actually a compelling case for Frances McDormand. And I was I was very tempted to make that pick here because I knew McDormand was going to be seen by all. And I was worried that the Academy, at the end of the day, was going to not watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I, I worried that the, the that maybe that would hurt Chadwick as so well. How maybe much- that hurt him in, in BAFTA. How much does the fact that taking the Academy, having their own streaming service aside, taking it out of it, how much does the fact that those are performances that are easily available and findable and everyone knew they were on Netflix, you didn't have to go searching VOD for them, play into what I'm assuming is going to be your pick here, Viola, it sounds like? Well, I think at the end of the day, they will watch that movie. Enough people will watch that movie. And apparently they did at SAG, which is an even lar- larger voting body, Mike, mm-hmm. than the, the acting branch at the Academy or than the whole branch at the Academy. And we know that f- further branches love Ma Rainey's Black Bottom <laughs> phrasing, but we have we do have Ma Rainey's about to win makeup and hairstyling, about to win costumes, nominated in production design. And yes, the acting branch is, is it's, it's heavily represented there. So we have reason to watch that movie to watch the screener everybody's got netflix so there's just no excuse there's no excuse why wouldn't they want to see chadwick boseman's last performance why wouldn't they want to see that movie above all it's 90 minutes it's so watchable it flies by whether you love it or not it flies by it's it's got this great mix of theatricality and chamber piece and music and it's 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 a tough it's a tough story in the sense that uh, it's intense, but I- I'm guessing people watch that movie. And when you watch that movie, she is just too powerful in it. And she mm-hmm. has the least amount of screen time in the category, as we said. But uh, as Matthew Stewart said, right, from, uh, from Gold Derby there. But we do know that she leaves a mark on the viewer. And I do think that's going to be my tie-breaking vote at the end of the day. So, sad conventional wisdom. And I know people get mad at the statistics for that. And 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 I, I know some of our friends on film Twitter get mad at that. And I'm, I'm not using that as my fallback. Quality of performance argument is kind of where I sit with it. I think she has... Uh, just that staying power. I remember Best Actress this year, and when I do, I remember Viola Davis. And you picked her as your number one. She was my number two in the category in our rankings, so she's atop my board ahead of the other quote-unquote betting favorites. So I, I'm going with Viola Davis because Vanessa Kirby, again, honestly, she was my favorite this year, but mm-hmm. I do think she is the betting long shot. So, that, again, I you know, I, I Sex Panther by Odeon arguments aside – or withstanding, I still go with Viola Davis. Let's talk about the betting odds for a second, because if you are going to place money, I do think 
this is a crapshoot. You started out by saying that you're absolutely right. And there's a reason these odds are what they are. So you could make money here. If you're looking where to place money, I actually would go with McDormand first. That's where I think the most value lays. Then I'd go Davis. Uh, then I'd actually go Audra Day. I don't know that I'd want to play the Kerry Mulligan game at just plus 125 with this race being as close as it is. But Francis McDormand giving you $3.50 for every $1 bet. I think there's good reason to find that here. And here's also why I think McDormand's uh, the first place I would place money in terms of value betting. It's something Matt Neglia and Next Best Picture has highlighted often. But it, do you feel yourself there's going to be any resistance towards crowning a movie th- that failed to make Best Picture nominating, giving it? what could be four Oscars on the night? Oh, it's a great argument. And it's conventional wisdom says absolutely not going to happen. But I agree. At the end of the day, I think this year's Academy will watch that movie. And when you watch that movie, she's votable. And because SAG voted her in, I'm believing that the Academy will, will, uh, will follow suit in a close race. But to me, it's between her and, and Francis McDormand. And and Francis McDormand is actually my number two. I'm guessing this Academy is probably not going to go with Carrie Mulligan because it's such a polarizing film from a lot of perspectives. And, and there's somewhere else to give credit to that film if they do want to give it an award. Correct. So, I don't know. I At the end of the day... These are just guesses. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're just guesses. And you can have caveats everywhere. Like if you like you said, I mean, Carrie Mulligan, nobody who's ever won just the critics' choice has has won the Oscar. And conventional mm-hmm. wisdom would say that the critics critical darling pick is not necessarily the Academy industry pick either. And then people will always say that, well, the second and third win on a career like Francis McDormand's has to be so much better than the rest of the field that that how can you pick Francis McDormand for her third win before you crown somebody on an equal level or close to an equal level like a Carrie Mulligan or like a Viola Davis who will make history with this award, winning both the supporting and the lead, or, or an Andrew Day who's booming uh, and, and Man, I wonder if Andrew scene. Day, yeah, I wonder if Andrew Day is going to sneak by because, well, we can't give McDormand her third and we can't give uh, Ma Rainey's both leads if we didn't nominate it for Best Picture and get, like, I wonder. Huh. But you also have the argument about the lone nominee with the United mm-hmm. States, Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. and Pieces of a Woman. And you have the fact that Andrew Day's acting in a movie that isn't great. And yeah. I, th- I like it better than, a lot than some other people, but even I would say, all right, at best it's a C, right? It's a C, C+. Plus. So it's it's a tough movie to say that, all right, this is going to be, everybody's going to push play on this and take this all the way through. I don't believe it. I, I, I thought that movie really slogged in the middle. So mm. I don't know. I, I just think it's, uh, I think it's obvious that she is that talented and she's worth the price of admission. Right there, right? So let's all just meet in the middle and do the right thing here and vote for Vanessa Kirby anyway. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the long shot plus 1500 Uh Man, if you put if you put 100 bucks on that. Yeah? Oh, my God. I mean, she's not. I, look, she hasn't won anything. She's probably not going to win, but David, for the, long, for the fifth longest odds. David, don't put $100 on that. <laughs> no, nobody. <laughs> but that would be something else. I mean, again, that would be the... That would be the pick, the Rosamund Pike pick, where you're like, okay, now I'm now I'm having a good night no matter what else mm-hmm. happens. All right, we got to move on, I guess, I think. I mean, we could do a whole other episode on this one. We had a great show with Izzy of Be Kind Rewind there, Isabel C., 
of that great YouTube channel, and she is the foremost expert on lead actress and in the history thereof. She's so good. It's so scary. good. It's her it's videos ridiculous. are so good, and she is so good off the cuff. Like it's beyond. Like we're we were like jealous for like a week of like, oh my god, she's great. <laughs> we're never gonna get this level. But then now it's just like it, we're in awe. And she's come on the yes. show twice, and yeah, we can get over ourselves. Michael, supporting actor. Looks like Daniel Kaluuya is going away with it. Judas and the Black Messiah, minus 3,000. He has swept the season, and his odds have shortened the most of any nominee today, of any betting on today, because he was minus 450 uh, before SAG. And then after SAG, he was minus 1,000. And now, after BAFTA, he's minus 3,000. Can somebody explain to me how Vegas views the BAFTAs? Because BAFTA obviously means nothing to Vegas in the lead actor category, but when it comes to supporting actor, and an actor who himself is British anyway, mm-hmm. that the BAFTAs have a tendency to vote towards, it triples his security in this category? Triples. I don't, I don't understand that, but okay, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, I think he's the heaviest favorite we're going to talk about. Minus 3000 You have to bet $30 to get $1 of profit out of him. Did they just over... Did they just leave his odds so low that now they're so worried about losing money on the category that they just made him un- made him unbettable with minus 3000. It could be. That's that's one theory I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. That has to be I don't it. know. I heard people that we respect still picking Sasha Baron Cohen and and others in this category up until, you know, I mean I don't I don't know. I don't have an answer for it. Well, Sasha Baron Cohen is plus 1,200. Leslie Odom Jr., plus 1,600. Paul Racy, plus 1,600 as well. And Lakeith Stanfield is the long shot right now at plus 2,500. We had wondered if Stanfield was going to take away some Kaluuya votes because they're in the same film, because that category fraud argument was coming out again. And it's kind of mm-hmm. silly considering that the last few winners of the supporting actor category had more screen time than Kaluuya, I'm pretty sure. Definitely last year's Brad Pitt win had mm-hmm. way more screen time in terms of the numbers there. Again, thank you to Matthew Stewart. I'm looking at this category, and I can't go any other way than Kaluuya. Some statistical reassurance. Yeah. 11 out of the last 12 times, sporting actor won the Globe Choice and SAG. That actor won the Oscar. Uh, the only exception being Eddie Murphy of Dreamgirls, who was sweeping until Alan Arkin took the Oscar for Little Miss Sunshine. And that veteran, I guess, Paul Racy, maybe, but that veteran, that Alan Arkin, I don't think is here in this category to pull off such an upset. I, I, it doesn't matter. Vegas says Kaluuya is even more of a sure bet than Chloe Zhao is in directing, and I wrote a song about her. So I'm <laughs> like, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I don't think it matters. They're both winning. Kaluuya's winning this. long song about her <laughs> and nothing for Daniel Kaluuya here, who's an even heavier favorite. Michael, supporting actress was fun for us this whole season. It was the category that vexed us the most, but it really has been a lot of fun. We had a great show with Amanda of Swell Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to that. I think we covered it from all angles, and we actually made some fun cases for each and every uh, nominee here. I'll be honest. She, her logic in that episode and who she saw as who should who the favorite was almost convinced me in this category. I was tempted as well, but I'm going to be boring at the end of the day. Yeah, Yo Jung Yoon. Minari, minus 450, so she has shortened since BAFTA, since SAG. She was 
kind of plus 150 for a while, plus 125 uh, after SAG even, uh, well, before SAG, and then right after SAG, she got into the slight favorite territory over Maria Bakalova. Now she is the betting favorite at minus 450. Bakalova is plus 350. She's still certainly in striking distance Mm -hmm. from Borat's subsequent movie film. She won the choice. She has no misses in terms of her nominations, Yoon only missed at the Globes to start the season. Otherwise, we have Glenn Close at plus 900. Put she, money on Glenn. <laughs> she's right there. She does have a miss at BAFTA. Even though this is her eighth Oscar nom, this is also her first Razzie nom for this performance as well. That is a little scary to me. I wonder if the stench of that actually affects this Oscars. I do think mm, I do think that publicity kind of hurts. And the fact that the Razzies are the day before the Oscars and the fact that the the, the Academy is like, all right, we're going to pick, we're going to crown her at this magical moment and there's going to be the, the sub-headline. She won the Razzie the day before? So you don't think the Academy is ever able to poke fun at themselves? Are you telling me the Academy's too serious for your liking, Michael? I would not say such things. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I think they're staying away from the close Coleman part. Duh. They're staying mm-hmm. away from it the whole season. I don't blame them. And I think when you have alternatives like Yo Jung Yoon, who otherwise is a is an Oscars unknown, but who, who when you research and when you get into her uh, backstory, live this movie. Mike, I think... And everybody familiarized yeah. themselves with her so quickly off this movie. It's, like, yes, she was an unknown, and then everyone was like, oh, she's the Korean Meryl Streep. Okay, I know what that means. It is the one of the more charismatic, likable performances in the category, too. I mean, Bakalova, Yoon... Without question. Without question. I mean, Amanda Seyfried is full of questions and subtext, and I, mm-hmm. I love the Amanda Seyfried. I keep saying her name wrong. It's just a bad <laughs> habit. I'm sorry. Um from Mank, but she's plus 3,500 as a long shot. Olivia Coleman has really drifted at plus 2,500. Uh, they both have some misses. They both miss BAFTA, Coleman and Seyfried, and Seyfried miss SAG and BAFTA. So, again, it's looking like Yoon is on a roll now. It's looking like that's going to take her over the finish line after winning BAFTA and SAG. So Coleman couldn't win a home game at BAFTA. So for me, that eliminates her from these predictions. She wasn't uh, there. Yeah, she wasn't even there. Right, right. Amanda Seyfried, Seyfried. Seyfried. Her. Amanda. <laughs> oh, she's great. We got it. <laughs> she's wonderful, but we could just, I don't know what it is. She's going to have a Muhammad Ali moment on you one yeah, day. Say my right. fucking name. <laughs> she belong, and she'll deserve it by all rights. I just, I, for both of us, we can't get that yes, in our heads. I know. Amanda Seyfried, she couldn't get nominated. No, again, either side. screwed it up. Sing another song about. <laughs> no, it's Seyfried, isn't it? Seyfried. Seyfried. Oh, my God. All right. The lovely actress from Mank <laughs> couldn't land nominating at either SAG or BAFTA. For that, for me, she's out because of the crossover of the Academy with those two voting bodies. Okay. Uh, the supporting categories are usually a coronation actress mm-hmm. specifically. It's either a sweep or a heavy favorite. Has any woman ever won the category without winning one of the major precursors first? Yes, it's happened. Marsha Gay Harden, Anna Paquin, Marissa Tomei, it's happened in the past. So could Glenn Close do it to the combined dismay of everybody outside of Olivia Coleman? <laughs> There's precedent. And you would think with the crossover Academy voters to the BAFTA and Guild voting bodies, this would be a slam dunk, but 
there is reason to worry about Yoo Jung-yoon. I mean, since the first SAG Awards show in the 1995 film year, if you take all four acting categories, there's been four instances of an actor winning BAFTA and SAG as their lone precursor wins, like Yoon has done this year. Only one of those four times resulted in an Oscars victory on top of it. It does just so happen, though, to be both the most recent time such a thing occurred and the lone occurrence of such a feat happening in the supporting actress category. This was in 2004, where Kate Blanchett ended up winning the Oscar for The Aviator. And that Blanchett path actually feels like the one Yoon Jung-yoon is on to me. And Blanchett was already known by the Academy, having been nominated once prior, and obviously we just went through Yoon Jung-yoon wasn't a known entity necessarily, but she was already had she's already had tons of success overseas the academy and everybody familiarized themselves with her very quickly and the academy itself familiarized themselves with korean cinema off the back of parasite last year uh, and obviously historically with all that bong joon ho has done in terms of cinema in years prior I really, really, really want to pick Glenn Close, and I've already said I would advise you to maybe sprinkle a few bucks on Glenn Close because I like the value. Sprinkle is a really dainty way to say just hemorrhage money. <laughs> we all have our end, vices, Michael. It's just like <laughs> hemorrhage money. I have nothing in my bank account. But and see, if you, like, way, here, if you put it that way, if you put it that way, if you make it sound nice, it doesn't hurt as much. Do not splash the putt. Sprinkle, splash. <laughs> Oh, my God. I also don't think Bakalova is dead by any means. I think this is a legitimate... I think Bakalova and Close have paths. Obviously, <laughs> Vegas does as well, keeping them both inside 10 to 1. But, like you, I will play it safe, and I will hate myself for when it inevitably doesn't happen, and I'll pick Yu Jung Yoon. I don't know who's going to win, I'll be honest with you. So, yeah, this is a... This is a betting category that where you could make money, but you can also lose your shirt mm-hmm. if you get a little frisky. Yep. So don't sprinkle anything. Just, <laughs> under, just responsibly. Probably just good advice for life going forward. <laughs> just responsibly realize that you are, you know, taking a lot of money out of your pocket and, and putting it somewhere. <laughs> that is very risky. Boo! <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so uh, Amanda Seafried, Seafried? Oh, boy. (laughs) She's the long shot right now. She's got the booming career after all the casting announcements. I do think Hollywood is looking at her and they're like, okay, not yet. It's It's coming. Not yet. Olivia Coleman just won. So we we can whittle it down to close, Bakalova, or Yoon. Like I said, the Razzie, I think it's a little stanky. To go with Glenn Close this year, I think that would she's be a fascinating got, investigation. How much does the Academy put weight in the Razzies? I just, I, I mean, in a close race, that's I can enough. see it. I that's enough to say it. no. Never mind that the film is, is is just crushed by the critics and a lot of people. So, if it does come down to Bakalova and Yoon, then you have two fresh faces to Oscar. But Yoon does have the recent wins. I just, I, I have to go with you, Yo Jung Yoon. I yeah, have to. It's tough to pick again. I mean, look, we're, we said it at the top. We're going to be aligned on a lot of these, and that's six categories down, and we haven't deviated from each other yet. So well, Let's find a seventh. Original screenplay, Michael. We have Promising Young Woman, minus 400 now by Emerald Fennel. We have The Trial of the Chicago 7, plus 275 by Aaron Sorkin. We have Minari, plus 1,200 by Lee Isaac Chung. We have Judas and the Black Messiah, plus 3,300 
3300 by Will Burson and Shaka King, and Sound of Metal plus 3300 by Darius and Abraham Martyr, the Martyr Brothers, and Derek Cian France. What are you looking at with this category? Are you looking at the favorite? Yeah, of the major categories, I think this was the one I took the quickest to, to label outside of the ones we've already locked away previously. I, I, I think this is Promising Young Woman and Emerald Fennels. I, I don't, I mean, the WGA crossover stat is a, is a heavy one that you're going to cite. I, I don't see any reason to, to, to pick an upset here. I guess it's only going to be Sorkin, right? I mean, Minari, you can make the case for, and I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I, I don't, I feel like there's going to be an impetus to give promising young woman something. And usually when that's the case, it ends up in the screenplay categories. It's got a lot of passionate support. We have a lot of films like this that have won. You go all the way back to the, to mash and the producers, dark comedies that it struck a nerve with some people, but get out could be in there too. Yeah. Get out Jojo rabbit. I mean, there's some some recent films, Little Miss Sunshine, that mm-hmm. are screwed up, that are effed up, but that are still somehow funny. And the, you add to that fact that this movie works as a thriller in many ways and uh, features just some some really polished craft. And the editing works, and I do think the story and the, the structure it just it beautifully parallels everything. Like, you have a, a character that just grows Mm-hmm. And it grows into a bigger and bigger monster in the story where you get like a few archetypes early and then you get the boss level version of that character later. And I don't want to spoil anything on the movie, so that's all I'll say. But the the fact that you're able to parallel the script that way, and never mind the satiric levels of uh, d- degrees of difficulty, rather. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the script. I think it's the best in the category. WGA crosses over about a 64%. That's not... That's not cinching the win, but we we do have Promising Young Woman on a roll of late. It has mm-hmm. won the Critics' Choice. It has won uh, the the BAFTA and the WGA, and it is it won the season with twenty three wins from the critics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Trial of Chicago Seven hasn't won since the Golden Globes, and I do think people are reckoning with that screenplay, and they're like, wait a minute. The screenplay actually doesn't work as well as some of his other ones, and it doesn't work as well as some others in this category, and it doesn't work as well as another nominee in this category. They're covering the same subject, for Christ's sake. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with saying Aaron Sorkin made another good movie that Mm -hmm. isn't Oscar winning. That's fine. That's fine. So the Golden Globe stat doesn't really work. Again, it's 65%. A lot of these stats are maddening, by the way. Like the Golden Globe. It's all middling. It's all middle of the road. It's all the same. Like the Mm -hmm. WGA, 64%. The Golden Globe, 65%. This is going to go down the card. Like I'm going to have a VFX stat where the numbers are similar. So, But I I do, again, that's why we throw out these precursor crossover stats sometimes because, again, it's, it's how voting bodies work within a particular season. Right. I mean, and and when you it's 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 columns, not rows or it's rows, not columns. That matters what I'm trying to say when you're considering these numbers and we're considering it one way when we probably should be considering it the other way, the way you kind of tend to to look at things. And and, and but I just think your delivery uh, in terms of uh, singer songwriting and your delivery in terms of <laughs> four paragraph statistical analyses uh, for an audio program. It just confuses me still. So anyway, I'm, I'm so excited to be so wrong. Come Oscar Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> We're both going with promising young woman for this category. Yes. 
Adapted, adapted screenplay. Yes, please. We have Nomadland by Chloe Zhao, minus 425. Adapting a book by Jessica Bruder. Won the Critics' Choice, won the USC Scripter, won a lot of things early. There was a blip. It was not eligible. Nomadland was not eligible for the WGA. And there's a BAFTA nom, but it did not win the BAFTA. The BAFTA was won by The Father by Christopher Hampton and Florian Seller Mike, which is plus 400. That that has shortened. And The Father is now in the second spot, something that we had Borat's subsequent movie film in the second spot a, a week earlier. Borat's subsequent movie film is plus 750 by Sasha Baron Cohen, plus eight other writers. All sequels are considered adaptations. That's why it's here. Borat 2 won the WGA, and it was nominated at the Choice. One Night in Miami plus 1,800. The White Tiger plus 4,000. Mike, those are the two long shots. I don't think they should be, but they are, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Kemp Powers is a guy I really want to see with an yeah, Oscar. Yeah, me too. Or, or, or two Oscars, ASAFP. Ramin Barani, he's had an incredible career as well. And again, no matter what your friend says, I'm a big fan of that screenplay as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember <laughs> Which friend <laughs> Just holding that grudge. I get it. I've been grudge there. I'm a always random there. <laughs> other group of friend of yours. Yes. <laughs> so I'm probably being suckered in here by the BAFTAs and giving way too much credit to them, but I'm going to pick the father wow. for a few reasons. Uh, I think Chloe Zhao winning multiple Oscars is going to satiate a lot of her passionate fans in the Academy, passionate fans of hers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think, like with Promising Young Woman, there's going to be an imperative to reward not only this film, but also to kind of spread the love around, especially in this film year, to as many films as possible in a year which the films have been seen and are widely regarded as of similar quality. Mm. And there could be a little bit of fatigue on the behalf of Nomadland in some ways. And maybe, you know, the the idea of of giving Nomadland all these big five awards and big five sections is going to weigh on some people. And maybe they don't want to consider Nomadland one of the greatest singular cinematic events in movie history. I I don't know. Again, I'm following the most recent success and probably giving too much credit to BAFTAs. But speaking of spreading the love for a moment, I really like the idea of this year, because there were so many similarly quality, high quality films. I really like this idea where every Best Picture nominee wins at least one Oscar, including the fact that there'd be a ninth film. Yeah, there'd be a ninth film that didn't make Best Picture, uh, the Best Picture nominating field, that won two of the lead awards and at least three Oscars minimum. Anyway, (laughs) if they go by uh, what we're saying. Such a thing where every Best Picture nominated for Best Picture in that category went home with at least one award on Oscar Sunday. It's only happened 11 times in the past 50 years, including that it's only happened two times since the category expanded to a potential 10 nominees anyway. And if the father doesn't win here, I don't know where else you give it a win on the card. So that combined with the fact that the screenplays usually tend to be where the Academy goes with the, the hot movie property and can reward kind of the newcomer to the field, the Academy field, the nominating field. Uh, we have our first disagreement, I think, Mike, right? I, I think so. I think uh, the BAFTA crossover stat just bothered me too much. It's five out of the last 10 years, 10 out yeah. of the last 20, six of those 10 misses, 10 out of the last 20 there come from screenwriters of British or Commonwealth countries. Oh, I like that. I like so that So I'm just looking at 
the BAFTA and when the BAFTA's wrong, they go with the home team kind of thing. And I know I, I poo-pooed a similar argument in the last episode with Anthony Hopkins. Like, just because he's Brit- He's Anthony Hopkins, though. This is, <laughs> this is Christopher Hampton and Florian Zeller who are just starting their careers. Or they're just, you know, just taking off and just launching their careers. I am looking at all these other categories, and it's looking like a shower for Nomadland. A lot of times when... There is there's a close situation in a lot of categories. There's there's reversions to the best picture. They go back mm-hmm. to the mean in a way. And I have no idea how many of these Academy members actually read the book. <laughs> oh, none. I could tell you that. <laughs> I, but if they did, or if they, they read a New Yorker article about the book, or a New York Times article about the book, they'll learn that Fern was not a character in the book, and they'll learn that <laughs> Chloe just invented her with uh, Francis out of whole cloth and then stuck her in a, her own story and rewrote the book, essentially. So this is a true adaptation. It had a high degree of difficulty. It's very muscular editing, writing. Some of these scenes play out. Some of them are in these, these montages that really click together and, and just have such an emotional wallop. So... At the end of the day, I'm looking at the category, I'm looking at the screenwriting, and I'm like, this is the best of the favorites. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland is my pick. I'm probably going to be wrong to you, and you're going to lord it over me for a while. Oh, yeah, forever. Uh, Forever, (laughs) definitely. But look, I mean, it only took us till the eighth freaking category of the big eight (laughs) to actually have our first disagreement, but such is the case with this 2020 film year. I would... Look, I know Borat 2 is in the conversation, and it has the WGA on its resume. It's probably why its odds are still under 10 to 1. I, I do think this is going to come down to those two uh, screenplays, though, for the adapted category. Yeah, I wanted to, to give Borat 2 more momentum throughout, but I just, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of this political body, and that we've just had so mm-hmm. much, like, scuttlebutt this season, whether it was just the Mank line. And, and and all of the, the right-wing politics and Mank and the fact that we needed like a 40-minute interlude about a gubernatorial race in 1920-something <laughs> Hollywood to, to, to drive home the fact that, hey, there's a lot of closet conservatives there. Back then, they weren't closet conservatives. But regardless of politics, though, I do think that Borat is a as edgy a, a film as we're going to see win that category. And it's non-traditional comedy in a sense that it would be something new and we'll we'll see i mean i i I guess i'm conservative when making my picks at the end of the year and i'll be gladly proven wrong if the academy has the cojones to pick Mm. Borat two as as the winner here because that would be cool that would be fun i would give them points for ambition there it would be a fuck you to the last four years of politics let's just say that right i mean I, i would i would love that I, I, I would, too. I, I agree. And that'd be a great sign of things to come. And I, I'm like you. Like I, It gets maddening picking. I mean, I know The Father's not the favorite, but, you know, all these categories are down to two or three films at most. And it gets maddening picking the favorite time after time when you know there's going to be an upset. But having studied it as much as we have, it's tough to kind of, especially this specific particular year, it's tough to sort that out. But we could pick up the pace, go a little bit through the rest of this category now. Uh, animated feature, we have Soul, which is the, I, I misspoke when I called Daniel Kaluuya the heaviest favorite. Soul is the heaviest favorite on the card. Yeah. Minus 5,000. Mike, how would you like to bet $50 to win one back? That's what the K 
case of soul right now. Uh, (laughs) Wolfwalkers is second place at plus 800. Onward is 20 to 1. Over the Moon, 28 to 1 at plus 2800. A Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, which should win based on name alone, is plus 3300. Wolfwalkers is great, but soul is winning this category. My pick is soul. Yeah, not sure there's much of a case to be made by us here. This movie should have been nominated in Best Picture and probably Screenplay and Director for my money, too. I agree. I think it's going to win a couple awards on the night. Uh, international feature, move on, moving on and, and actually picking up the pace here. Another round is a minus 1,000 favorite, and that is, of course, coming off that BAFTA win over Minari. Uh, we have Quo Vadis Aida plus 700, Collective plus 1,100, Better Days plus 1,800, The Man Who Sold His Skin, which is about a back tattoo, by the way. Don't not watch that movie because you think it's grosser than it I is. am not interested now. <laughs> Plus 2,800 <laughs> ill. Uh, uh, what do you think here? Look, I know Minari doesn't belong in the international film category, but it is that Baptist upset, I guess, of another round over Minari, uh, which... I I would like to see what the Academy voters did if Minari was going head-to-head with another round and what that would do for Minari in other categories as well. Now, again, it doesn't belong in a national feature, and we've said as much routinely throughout award season. It would just be unique to see the, the Academy voters yeah, have so to parse through that. so let's have an entire that. award season where it's made to be an international feature. I mean, Jesus. Would it make <laughs> any sense? Like, we we already seen <laughs> this play out the rest of the season, and before right. we knew... It was going to compete for Best Picture, right? And it was going to mm-hmm. be involved there. The outside lane had it, had 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 been in, in effect, and and it, and Minari was winning. Once we realized that okay, Nomadland's going to win, and BAFTA's like, all right, let's pick, let's pick another round. Thomas Vinterberg, we awarded him up and down the card. I mean, you can say that the BAFTAs wanted another round regardless because it's yeah. it's a damn good movie, sure. fine. But I'm just saying, I think it was an easier decision when they knew Minari was not competing in that category anymore. I would agree with you there, and it would just be a really interesting case to see if there was any domino effect leading out of Minari being considered an international feature here. But uh, as far as this category and betting it, don't sleep on Kovadi Saida, if I'm pronouncing that wrongly, which I'm sure I am. We're pronouncing Uh, all of these wrongly. (laughs) We apologize. I've seen seen a lot of people uh, raving that. And Vegas, by the way, sees another round as as much of a lock over its closest competitor as it does Nomadland over Trial of Chicago 7 in Best Picture. Even more so now, since the odds updated this morning. Just FYI. Yeah, so we're both picking another round here. Michael, we're back to a wide-open category, and this one, uh, there's going to be flags hoisted in the air on it. So here we go. (laughs) Documentary feature. My God. My octopus teacher is minus 200 after wins at the PGA and BAFTA. We have time. Amazon Prime's time at plus 250 14 wins on the season including choice gotham ida nbr and sundance we have collective in the third spot plus 800 the dual nominee from international and documentary feature collective 10 wins on the season then we have my favorite documentary of the year crip camp at plus 1800 and one of my top documentaries on the year plus 4000 uh is the mole agent michael if i was ranking these documentaries i would have the long shots a little higher but i i I like all five nominees don't get me wrong look it this category is maddening in the sense that all of the crossover stats are totally unhelpful we have pgas (laughs) pgas five out of 13 
So that's 38%. So if everybody's like, oh, my God, the PGA, my octopus teacher won that. What a surprise. Five out of 13 times, 38%. Not a great crossover stat. BAFTAs, four out of 10. Four out of the last 10, 40%. So that doesn't help my octopus teacher all that much either. The choice is seven out of the last 12. Okay, maybe we're we're talking, but the further you go back, it's 10 out of the last 25. That's 40%. (laughs) So what the hell are we doing here? I, I just started to do more crossovers, and then I was like, you know, you know, about 20 into NBR, I was like, like no. Aldous Snow says, I decided to just go on living my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to play your demo, because I just decided to go on living my life. So no, the crossovers don't help at all. So we're basically just going to be spineless here and pick the octopus, or what are you doing? I left this blank. Are we really doing this again? Do we have to talk about this godforsaken category? I don't know. I guess my oct- like I want to oh. pick. I want to pick. I'm picking Crip Camp. Fuck it. I'm I'm picking Crip Camp. Yeah. It's the best one I've seen this year, and I oh. the, this this category does weird shit all the time. I want to invent a Frank Sinatra song now about Crip Camp and take four minutes to sing it as well <laughs> because I love that movie. It's my favorite movie. Uh, Scott Feinberg just had Judith Human on his show, uh, Awards Chatter. It was an awesome interview, and she should have ten movies made about her, never mind just one documentary. And I would I would absolutely love that. I think if the Obamas did not win for Higher Ground yeah, uh, that's, last year. Right, right, right. I, I'm that's wondering, the one thing that's like they're not going to reward them again, I don't think. Well, that's probably why right now we're we're looking at Crip Camp where it is. It's also an archival footage doc. Archival footage docs in the documentary feature category have not necessarily done as well. Time has some of that involved. Again, it's a form question for them. Can I just take the field? Can I take the field and just, if any of the four that aren't Octopus Teacher, I get to say I'm right and you were wrong? But here's, here's the thing about my Octopus Teacher, what it has going for it. It has the crowd-pleasing factor, right? People love it. And if people cheat, I, again, I know there are viewing requirements, but if people cheat and they just watch My Octopus Teacher and they avoid these sadder films that will enrich your body and your soul and your mind as journalistic cinematic experiences, as emotional, emotionally cathartic, worthwhile two hours spent here, there, or all over the world in some of these cases, they're worth it, but people probably chickening out. It's it's Netflix, right? It's Netflix. My octopus. Yeah, I'll pick it. I'm picking my octopus. I've, I've, I want. I'm picking everything. All right. I'm not getting this category wrong this year. I'm picking all five. So you're gonna one of them's going to win. You're going to sprinkle. <laughs> I'll pick my octopus teacher. I should go different. I won't. I'm spineless as well. Documentary short, Michael. We have love song for Latasha currently sitting as the uh, favorite minus two ninety. A concerto is a conversation at plus three fifty. Colette is nine to one or plus nine hundred. Hunger Ward plus twelve hundred. Do not split is the longest shot plus fourteen hundred or fourteen to one. Here's how I know we've been doing MMO too long, Mike. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure, I know now, but I was pretty sure going into this, we're going to agree on at least two of the three shorts categories. And I'm almost positive we agree on this one in our prediction for the same primary reason, despite the fact that it's not going to be the betting favorites in Vegas. So I want to hear you explain your reasoning for your pick first. It's the shortest. It's the happiest. <laughs> I felt the best. And I think it's it's excellent. And it has a na- has name recognition with yes, the guy who did the music for Green for. Book. And I just think 
at the end of the day, it's like an easy resume builder that you, it's been on New York times, it's been on YouTube for months. Again, if they cheat in this category, they're cheating with the 13 minute movie that makes them feel a whole myriad of feelings that ends with a happy one. A concerto is a conversation is my pick. Yeah. I was very upset to see you pick that at the end. Cause I, I knew going into it, I was, I was going to pick that as well, but it just, the, look, we know the Academy doesn't watch everything, <laughs> especially in the shorts categories. They right. picked, they picked Heaven is some a freeway on the four Oh five. Right. So, they picked one that had a street near them in, in <laughs> exactly. the title. And, and I mean, name recognition is all, it could be wrong. Sure. Absolutely now this is be. a, you know, this is a highbrow title for, for a movie. I wonder if it had a different title. Could they, could they get, get it, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. I, the, the title sounds like a foo-foo short. Let's just put it that way. But it's, it's, it's a title that works for the movie. Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. the title turn people away? But then again, it's 13 minutes. And it's charming as all hell. Yeah. I loved it. I just, I wanted to win, unfortunately. I think, I, I, I think anything could happen. But, um, I mean, look, I mean, we, we love these five shorts all, all across yeah, the board. Yeah, great year, great year for documentary shorts. I was Absolutely. tempted to pick Colette. Honestly. So was I. God damn it. We have was, been doing this too long. <laughs> yeah. I was really tempted to write Colette in there. So that was that would probably be my second choice. A love song for Latasha is really artsy, and I don't know necessarily how people are going to take and that. And uniquely done. Unique. I just wonder how they're going to take it. It's it's a strange doc short. I and it works. Be, I, I would. I wish I could bet money on something not winning, and it would be Do Not Split, because I don't think uh, the, uh, the Hong Dude. Kong protests are going to be something that QB Academy celebrates, even though it would be a great reason for them to. I think they're going to avoid it. If, yeah, they, if, if it's close, they, they're going to avoid the controversy. And I agree. Yeah, unfortunately. And again, I, mean, I don't necessarily believe it deserves to win. No, no offense to do not split. No, but it'd be a cool statement. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do it either. All right. Live action that, tell short. me, find me a podcast that's going to go deeper into documentary <laughs> short than we did this year. I, I dare all of you. Well, we shouldn't go deep into this next one yet. We weren't even going to review because we haven't watched the movies yet. We've put it off time and time again in live action short. We're going to review these for you on Friday. We're probably going to change our picks, but let's you know give you the complete presentation here. Let's talk about the betting odds. The Letter Room with uh, dream guest Oscar Isaac, minus 210, Michael. We have Two Distant Strangers on Netflix right now, plus 160. Feeling Through, it's plus 1,200. The Present, plus 2,200. Just won the BAFTA, I believe. And White Eye, plus 4,000. Michael, a week ago, I saw The Present as a betting favorite somewhere. So, and I did find, I, it was like a joke. I was like, I found live action short betting odds. <laughs> and maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought The Present was the leader in the clubhouse. So, I have no idea who's going to win here, but we are going to make a pick. What do you got? I also will pick the Netflix one. <laughs> <laughs> two, di- two Distant Strangers has been the picture at the top of most articles written about <laughs> this category, and it is available on Netflix, as is the present. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to change this at the end of the week. There's no more time uh, to spend on it now. Stay tuned for our quote-unquote indie spirits recap oscar race checkpoint the final oscar race checkpoint of the season and we will review those michael animated short though we do have some thoughts if anything happens i love you it is the betting favorite at minus 275 that is a netflix short we love it Mm -hmm. opera plus 500 what a cool last short that was i loved opera so much big fan 
Burrow on Disney Plus. Adorable. Burrow too. Adorable on, on Disney Plus. Burrow plus 600. Genius Loki. Hated this movie. Plus 750. <laughs> it's artsy. It's very it French. Very it's very artsy. artsy. Very the dog runs through the city. It was gorgeous. Anyway, you have the one still. It's all over our Twitter uh, feed for a couple days there. But yes, people. <laughs> yes, people from Iceland. It was very funny. Plus 2,000 is the long shot. It warms my heart to see this category actually being weighed by Vegas according to how we also reviewed these shorts for the most part and how we saw them. And it makes me feel like maybe we're not so crazy after all. And then I would take a bite directly out of an onion as if it was an apple. <laughs> well, I felt like I was biting through a, a just a stack of onions while I was watching If Anything Happens, I Love You because I cried like a just a baby during that. And I think everybody got hit emotionally by watching that short. So... Yeah, I mean, it's one of those visceral reactions. Does, do, do people get tough about it? Do they re- rebel against it? I don't think so in the short categories. If, you, if you're able to, to cry in seven minutes or eight oh minutes, make an audience cry, come on. What a... Ugh, I, I, ugh. Right? Ugh, it's a tearjerker. It's such an emotional... It's a great, it's a great short. Great short. It it's deserves a great short. It's a great short. It, it's hard to pick against it. We're, yeah. we're not. Original score. We'll, we'll get away from the shorts here. We'll go back to the music. Original score. We have Soul as a heavy favorite now. Minus 1,500 after it won the Globe, the Choice, and the Bath of the season. Mank is next up, plus 700. Minari, plus 1,400. Defy Bloods, plus 2,500. News of the Worlds, plus 2,500. Original score, Michael. Yeah, my only question is, why isn't Soul an even higher favorite? Minus 1,500, it's high, but I, I would think it'd be even a stronger favorite. Because especially if Mank, the same composers, is still the number two, which it is, according to Vegas. And Soul has won every precursor in original score. No Academy member is actually going to bother putting Mank first and risk being the, them being the reason that the vote is split between the two and something else winning, right? I thought the Mank score was really cool. I, I it was. Don't, I don't it was. get it as a number two here. I really don't. Like I would figure, I would figure they would have gone away from the double nominee thing and like put Minari here. And and Matt Negley had an awesome write up on Next Best Picture there. I love his longer write ups that he's been doing, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he, he had a really great rationale for 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 that number three spot there, plus fourteen hundred. So I guess if there's a long shot, sprinkle ten dollars. You know, you won't be too mad at me if you lose ten dollars, maybe. But no, this 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 category's wrapped up. Michael Soul's gonna win. Uh, it deserves to be a multiple time Oscar winner as well. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, John Baptiste. Let's give it to Soul. Original song. Now this category is wide open, and the the betting odds say as much. We have One Night in Miami. Speak now minus one. Eighty. That is not a heavy favorite after it won the choice and 12 wins on the season. We have the Life Ahead's Low C. This is the Diane. The O-C. It's, it's an O-C. I. Yeah. And I'm Italian, or supposedly. <laughs> Wonderbread Italian. You know who else was Italian? Mr. Francis J. Sinatra, baby. <laughs> Plus 265, the Life Ahead. Diane Warren's song there. It is the Golden Globe winner and three wins on the season. I can't believe I'm saying this, but... Eurovision Song Contest has a banger in Husavik <laughs> plus 300, one of my favorite songs of the year on my Spotify, never mind, of this of this award show, Michael. The Trial of the Chicago 7, Hear My Voice by Celeste, 
Somehow that's a long shot plus 5,000. Judas and the Black Messiah fight for you by her plus 5,000 as well. Scott Feinberg just did a great uh, interview with her. Gabby Wilson. Her's there. amazing. I don't understand why that did never gain more traction than it had. That's a great song, too. Very it's powerful. It's a great song. And I think those last two songs were, were awesome yeah. performances throughout the season that I've Agreed. seen here and there. I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised by these betting odds. But uh, we do have Leslie Odom Jr., a supporting actor nominee, in the uh, catbird seat right now, minus 180 as the favorite. I'd watch this category very, very closely on Oscar Sunday morning because... We had to rewrite these odds and re-rank them just in the last 24 hours ourselves. And if you look at different books, you're getting all kinds of different numbers. So these odds in this category, for whatever reason, are the most all over the place. There's no consistency, very little at least, in book to book. If you look at the odds for any any original song nominee. Um, <laughs> so you're thinking if Ernst... Young is it Ernst and Water? What is it? Price Waterhouse. Let me just botch it purposefully. Ernst and Waterhouse. <laughs> if Ernst yeah, and Waterhouse it. leaks it that morning to some, you know, a Johnny the Big Toe in well, Vegas, who then... <laughs> especially the Johnny the Big Toe. We know how big his mouth is as well. But no, seriously, like it, it just makes logical sense, right? There's been no uniformity in this category up to this point, other than Speak Now being the favorite, but. If you can suddenly find uniformity that happens to find itself on Oscar Sunday morning, I would try to jump on that before all the value is sucked out of it, if you can. Um, that said, I think it's a crapshoot right now. I think any of those top three are really, you're throwing a dart at a board and hoping. I'm going to go with the coronation of Diane Warren, finally, just because if everything's all equal, then the legacy tiebreaker I still believe exists in some fashion. And who has more of a legacy tiebreaker than Diane Warren right now, other than maybe Glenn Close, but even Diane Warren has more noms. So uh, I, I just, that and I'm tired of picking favorites, quite frankly. So I wanted a little variety in my predictions. I'm going with The Life Ahead and EOC. I like it. And I like The Life Ahead as a film, never mind as mm-hmm. a song uh, there with EOC. To say it correctly for once, I, I want <laughs> Diane Warren to win an Oscar. I think Same. she should have won one by now. Yes, she Her name should've. is not technically on the ballot, though. And am I going to believe <laughs> that this Academy is going to recognize that it's her song? No, I'm not. I'm, I know that they know <laughs> One Night in Miami is by Leslie Odom Jr. I know that they know that Leslie Odom Jr. is from Hamilton and has been singing all along this award season at the BAFTAs everywhere. I mean, he's he's great in that film, and this is a spot to give him an Oscar. Minus 180, I'm going with the favorite here. I do not know what's going to happen. Uh, I know Feinberg's got Husevic. I know that people watch that mid-pandemic there. It was a big movie on Netflix. It did very well with viewership. So maybe that is the sleeper here. I don't know. So the the trend of Harriet being sung by the nominee for Cynthia Arriva last year, the Les Mis song, the, the trend of the actors, I mean, I know Lady Gaga exists too for A Star Is Born Shallow. Th- this Is Me is another example. This trend of actors actually singing their songs and not being picked doesn't worry you at all? Yeah, where everything worries me. I'm, I'm, I'm always worried. I'm the worry wart of this podcast. Of course it worries me. Okay. But if I have to make a pick, I'm going to take the, the the snuggliest blankie of the category, and that's the, the one that will lose me the least amount of money? I'm glad we got that on tape. All right, good. Good. I'm good. Let's go to sound. We start coming in the home stretch here. Sound of Metal is minus 2,000. Another very, very heavy favorite. It did win BAFTA and the Cinema Audio Society Awards. Uh, Mank is 
Mank and Soul both are 10 to 1 or plus 1,000. News of the World and Greyhound both share odds at plus 2,800, although Greyhound does have a guild win to its name as well, Mike. Yeah, the NPSE, the Sound Editors Guild there. Is it worth putting $10 on Greyhound here? Or just uh, Sound of Metal is just way too heavy a favorite. Sound in the title doesn't hurt. It looks like Sound of Metal is going to win. So I agree with being surprised that Greyhound is the longest shot, especially because it has a Guildwind, and especially because of how the sound categories have treated war movies throughout their life. I can't tell you, doing that stat of how many years in the last 50 every Best Picture nom went home with at least one Oscar, I can't tell you how many war movies ended up winning at least one Oscar because of either a sound category or original song. So... Uh, yeah, I, I agree. There could absolutely be heavy, heavy value in uh, putting a little bit on Greyhound. That said, sound plays a character. I mean, if, if Greyhound was up against any other movie, I, I would feel more comfortable about its chances of pulling off a huge upset. But Sound of Metal, Sound and Lack Thereof, is an actual character in the movie. I've said that multiple times throughout the year. Uh, it just it just seems like it's bad timing on Greyhound's part. Sound seems like bad timing. It seems like a... A guildy pick, but when when you get this five amidst the rest of the academy, because everybody votes for everything, obviously at the, mm-hmm. at the Oscars in terms of the winners. So when this is in front of everybody else, this is the place to award Sound of Metal, and it has great sound in there. And the sound is so particular to telling this particular story, right? Yeah, it's, it's, absolutely. It's so influential, excuse me, on this and best. Telling. It's a best picture nominee. There's a lot of stuff going in its favor. I think uh, we're both picking Sound of Metal with uh, some logic behind it there, as opposed to everything else we do that is sans logic. But production design, Michael. Make minus 600. It has won everything. The Choice, the BAFTA, both guilds, the Set Designers uh, Society of America. I didn't write down the... (laughs) San Diego State America. San Diego State. Uh, The Some Dumb Shithead... America. No, the Set Decorators Society of America. Good God. And I didn't even look it up. I think I'm remembering it right. The Art Director's Guild. I am an ass. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is plus 600 in that second spot. Make minus 600 again. Tenant plus 800. The Father plus 2,000. News of the World plus 2,000. We just talked to Jazz about it, Mike. What do you think? I declared this one over a while ago. I think Jazz was in agreement with us. It's a little bizarre seeing all those guilds and all those precursor wins on Mank and still having it be minus 600 and Ma Rainey's and Tenet be so close at 6-1 to one and 8-1 to one respectively. I'm going to go Mank nonetheless, and it's bizarre to see how Mank lost momentum in literally every other category on the Oscars card, but when it comes to production design, it only seemed to get stronger and stronger as this award season went on. Yeah, I think Mank's going to take it. I think this is where you can award Mank. I think people can look at San Simeon. They can look at old Hollywood, and they can geek out about those about that world building. They can geek mm-hmm. out about everything that's on the screen there, and they know that it was all these set designers going ham on getting these old facades of the of the of the theaters and the and the and the lots on Warner Brothers there, et cetera, et cetera. RKO for Christ's sake. It looked awesome. And then you then you have the lavish, wealthy sets that and it's not just the, the, the deep backgrounds and the VFX there. This this is a worthy win for Mink. Yeah, and it's a big category too. Mal Rainey deserves credit, Tenet deserves credit, the father deserves credit, News of the World certainly does. I mean it's a it's a great year for production design overall. No question. Cinematography, Mike. 
Nomadland is the favorite right now at minus 600. It has the Critics' Choice and the BAFTA to its name. That's being represented by Joshua James Richards. Mank won a guild. It's at plus 500. Eric Messerschmidt is the cinematographer of uh, credit there. News of the World is third place, plus 1,200. Darius Wolski. Judas and the Black Messiah sits at plus 1,600. Thanks to Sean Bobbitt. And Trial of the Chicago 7 is the longest shot, 20 to 1. Feed on Papa Michael. Okay, so I did Papa Michael was my nickname in high school. Papa Michael is uh, somebody's nickname in high school for sure. Uh, <laughs> ASC, the American Society of Cinematographers, to Oscar. Those awards to Oscar. It's 44%, Michael. 15 out of the last 34. Not a great crossover. crossover but 6 out of the last 10 is probably the best number I can give it. BAFTA to Oscar. 16 out of 34. Not great. 47%. A maddeningly close <laughs> comparison. Once again, I wanted to go with the BAFTA, but... BAFTA is 8 out of the last 10 now. Now, it went on a drought, and it was 11 out of 20, but 8 out of the last 10. Now, my guess is when the Academy of Votes, they vote for something that is kind of obvious here, and they vote for the Magic Hour beauties that we just see throughout throughout yeah. the, uh, the movie. Uh, every 20 minutes, it seems, that Chloe Zhao made the whole crew wait around all day for that one beautiful shot and got it like a pro, like a guerrilla filmmaking maestro, and then we have Nomad Land look the way it look, and they just have stills of the movie as the posters for the movie. So I'm thinking Nomad Land has Joshua James Richards' cinematography on display there. It's a cool pick, juxtaposing what they've been picking of late. They've been picking a lot of big-budget Hollywood films, and I don't blame them. Some of the looks on the, the Dolby screen that we see here at our local AMC is just incredible. Yeah. But this year we didn't have that. We didn't have the theatrical experience working for us for much of the year. So this is a year where I'd say it's harder to geek out about the cinematography of Mank if you're just a ca- regular Academy member. I'm, I'm thinking this is the one that sticks out. I like your reasoning. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we are in a bit of a golden age of cinematography. Will Mavity, I think, was the one who tweeted about the last 10 cinematography winners, and it's just a fantastic run of, of shots of movies. I will join you here, okay? But if we're wrong and mm-hmm. Nomadland doesn't win, I'm going to blame Jazz Tanke, who was no! just on our show. Because in a part that was actually cut from our interview, I say that with love, obviously, and joking, but <laughs> there was a part of our interview we had to cut where we were talking about cinematography, and due to a miscommunication, she was under the impression that you were picking something else in cinematography and picking against Nomadland, and she was very surprised by that. Right. And obviously we cleared that up and made it clear that that wasn't the case, but because of her shock that somebody would pick against Nomadland, I feel that I have to pick Nomadland now, because otherwise I'd be doing her wrong. So I'm going to pick Nomadland. Yeah, her level of certainty there is definitely boldened my speech right. that I just gave <laughs> about Mank not winning, even right. after we're all rattled that Eric Messerschmidt, and who did a great job in, in the cinematography of mm-hmm. Mank. I'm just wondering if the Academy is going to geek out about that cinematography, because that's how you have to love it, right? I would say. I, I It makes a lot of sense that something that you know the Academy had to watch. I like the, the reasoning you laid out there. It makes that a lot of sense that that would be the type of film they go to, especially when the cinematography of it is featured so prominently anyway i love all the twitter accounts that just throw out cinema stills from these movies featuring the cinematography Mm -hmm. i love to see those twitter threads and and the still battles 
this is a fun year for cinematography, I would agree, despite the fact that we didn't get the big screen experience, but uh, I am staying with the favorite there. I'm just boring this whole episode. <laughs> I know, I that's, it's, it's yeah. maddening. It's, it truly is, <laughs> and I don't, I don't think we're going to stray from the favorites in these next two. Uh, we're going to kind of combine them just for, I, I have a reason for later, but makeup and hairstyling right now. Ma Rainey sits at the favorite at minus 425. Pinocchio in second place, plus 450. Hillbilly Elegy is plus 900. Mank 16 to 1. Emma 16 to 1. Costume design is Ma Rainey as a favorite as well. A lesser one, though, at minus 265. Emma is in second place at a reasonable plus 275. Mank plus 600. Mulan 20 to 1. Pinocchio 40 to 1 in costume design. Mike, who are you picking for those two? Well, Pinocchio, there was a snail lady talking to a wolf man, <laughs> talking to a wooden boy, but I'm, and it looked real. But I'm still going with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because we have the transformational character. We have the costume design that was featured throughout that was written into the story that was, look, I mean, we have these these titans in the industry that need to be recognized like Anne Roth in terms of the costume design. And we have uh, just a great group, Sergio Lopez Rivera, Mia Neal, Jamika Wilson, whose work was the latest in a celebration of great technology, of subtle moves that just you could see on the poster, you could see on the stills, never mind when you watch the movie, when mm-hmm. you see the, the, the gold teeth, when you see the the makeup that smudges in certain scenes. It's just, it's featured. It's yeah. featured in the movie. And I don't believe they all saw Pinocchio. So I'm saying... Agree. Uh, as good as Pinocchio's is, uh, I'm saying Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to win both these categories. I agree. And I'm also equally concerned that Ma Rainey's isn't higher in either category. Minus 425 makeup and hair, minus 265 costume design. I'm not sure what more it had to do in the lead-up, having won the BAFTAs, the MUAs, and the uh, Costume Designer Guild. Yeah. Especially because Emma is so close to it in costume design at plus 275. I'm willing to say, oh, that's just somebody saying the Academy has this thing with period pieces and and period pieces are always going to finish well. And if that's the case, fine. But like you, and, and you kind of took the words out of my mouth, I think Ma Rainey's deserves to be a winner here and it deserves to be featured. I, again, another concern, and say again, I should say, Man, we're saying Ma Rainey's is going to win four Oscars and it wasn't nominated for Best Picture. It's probably not, right? But again, we're picking these, so we're just we're just two guys picking the Oscars. Mm-hmm. We, you know, that's what the, at the end of the day, that's kind of how I land on this. We're just two guys picking the Oscars. I want a gaudy number. I want a big number, <laughs> and this is the more conservative way for me to pick the number. Get the number right. I don't know. Again, I am going to be pleasantly surprised if some underdogs win. I really will, and I, I'll get all over my number. I will really too, but quickly. not here. Right. I want to see Ma Rainey's win both these and win four. Yeah, I, I, I probably with you. I, I would like these two in particular because we did the deep dive mm-hmm. with Jazz yeah. on these these uh, these artisans, and we want to see them win at the end of the day. And I, I think the the guilds have shown as much, and the fact that the. Uh, that the critics and everybody's just been celebrating their work throughout the season. I think the, I think they have the will of the people behind it. But again, when everybody votes for everything, what happens? Does Mm. everybody did everybody watch Emma as the one big movie they watched in the fall or last winter, right? Fond memories of that being the last one they saw in theaters, maybe of a gorgeous, 
group of dresses and costumes. Yeah. And the, the hmm. male costumes were incredible in Emma. Emma's a great movie. Well, really, really good movie, like hmm. all of the best movies are this year. <laughs> Can you call anything a great movie? I don't know. Maybe maybe Emma will age that way, but I, I really liked it. Michael, is this the last category? Two more? Two, two more. more. Last film, two. film editing, and it's a big one. Sound of Metal is still the betting favorite last I was able to check. Minus 135. So it's a slight favorite after winning the BAFTA. It had a tie at the Critics' Choice with number two in this category, The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is plus 125 last I checked, but I expect those odds to shorten a little bit or something to happen. Mm-hmm. Trial of Chicago 7 won the Ace Eddie, again, tied in the Critics' Choice. Now, Nomadland plus 700, The Father plus 2,000, Promising Young Woman plus 5,500. The Nomadland number is encouraging to my other picks, I would say, but I'm, I'm, I'm not touching it here. What do you think of best film editing? So this is as wide open as a category that's seemingly down to two movies can be. Uh, I think the trial, just because of the Ace Eddie crossover, is going to end up as the favorite come Oscar Sunday. Hmm. But remember that thing I said about wanting every Best Picture nominee to win an Oscar and go home happy? <laughs> Screw yeah, it. Eating your words here. Screw it. No, it's Screw cool. It. I, I, I'm with you. Give me Sound of Metal. I'll pick Sound of Metal. I, I think Trial wins. The Ace Eddie stat is a heavy one, but Ace Eddie's been... You have it here. I mean, they've only been right five of the last ten years. That's so true. So there's... It's been more of a coin flip than usual. There is a reason to believe Sound of Metal has some substance behind it. I'd like to think the Academy sees, Sound of, or sees Trial of the Chicago 7 as... More problematic, even though I know that's not true. Sound of, Trial of Chicago 7 is probably going to win, but screw it. I'm picking Sound of Metal. Yeah, I'm going with Trial of Chicago 7, even though I, I like that you're going with Sound of Metal here, and I like the fact that you talked yourself into the fact that it's a cool underdog. It's a, an underdog story at the end of the day in this category, and it might wind up being an underdog at the end of the day uh, when when people actually pick. But the Ace Eddie crossover is 36 of the last 50. That's 72%. And that's a much bigger number than 36%, Michael. 18 of the last 50 BAFTA film editing wins have gone on to win the Oscar. So that's not a good crossover. Nine of the last 20, even though BAFTAs have won six of the last 10. So yeah, not a great... one of 40 if you take out the last 10 years. Not a great crossover there. Yeah. So we have editing Oscar to Best Picture. Oscar, again, this is kind of a myth at this stage where, yes, the nominations, I think, matter more than the wins, but 21 of the last 50 editing Oscars have gone on to win Best Picture. That's only 42%. It's only one out of the last 10. That's Argo of 2012, seven out of the last 20, Michael. So I wanted to go with Chicago 7 here regardless because I do think that's the best editing of the year, and I do love the the opening of the movie. I love the cross-cutting of the of the montage at the end, the storytelling with the whole Eddie Redmayne uh, character story where he's flashing back. And I, I just love the cross cut in, in that regard. I thought it was just a smooth composition all the way through from Alan Baumgarten. And I, I'm just going with trial of Chicago seven as a biased pick maybe. So you, you, yeah, you made yourself sound cool. And I'm again, I, I, I just bristled at that fact. It's, because- se- it's self-preservation more than anything, because if, 
if Trial wins editing, I'm going to be nervous all night that it's actually going to win Best Picture. Oh, so that's why you didn't pick it. You don't want you don't want the worry, <laughs> right? That's exactly. I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is. And I, and I like I'm Sound trying of Metal to reassure War. you with the forty two percent number, twenty one <laughs> out of fifty. I, although Clayton Davis did release an article for Variety this week, said, trying to make the case that could Trial of Chicago Seven only win Best Picture, and that's something I didn't need to say. That was a cool article. I agree. Yeah. It was a good. Was, it was a good case. It was a good case. It's a case to be made. You never know. It could be a. An unprecedented situation in an unprecedented year. Everybody hates that word now. Why did I go with it? But okay, visual effects, Michael. Tenet, minus 350. It won the BAFTA. Tenet won the choice. That is the betting favorite. Still, after the Midnight Sky, which it's plus 240, won the Visual Effects Society. So that was a big day for the Midnight Sky, defeating Tenet, which is why many people are thinking the Midnight Sky is as the uh, number one contender status at the very least but maybe some wins. Mulan is plus 1,600. The one and only Ivan is plus 2,500, along with Love and Monsters. Some really great visual effects this year. Again, being at home, not being able to see it on the big screen, still some dazzling stuff. Love and Monsters, that's a fun movie and does some wild effects. The Midnight Sky, there's whole sequences of CGI in there, gravity style, but even smoother. I just wonder if they all watched it. I wonder if, you know, again, a building blowing up, not blowing up, reversing, whatever. I'm thinking Tenet is just going to be influential at the end of the day on people, and I'm going with Tenet. You have to give Christopher Nolan one, don't you? I mean, you have to. You have to give Tenet something for what Christopher Nolan tried to do in the summer. I, yes. I'm just wondering (laughs) if they watch The Midnight Sky. Are they watching an extra movie with a 50% tomato meter uh, score on Netflix or wherever? Are they watching it? Even the whole Academy. Once this goes to the whole Academy, I don't know if they're watching it. They probably are just because Clooney's involved, if for no other reason. But, look, minus 350 is a pretty heavy, it's not a heavy favorite, but it's a, it's a substantial number. Yeah. Just well, give here, it to Tenet. Give Christopher Nolan. Let Tenet be an Oscar-winning movie. Here's Think. the maddening thing about the stats. The BAFTA to Oscar VFX crossover is 24 out of 38. That's 63%. Okay? Seven of the last ten, which is good news for Tenet mm-hmm. and, and kind of why I, I reassured myself. 15 of the last 20. So that is higher than 63%. That's 75%. But the VES crossover is 12 out of 16. That's 67%. <laughs> so 67%, 63%. Again, you really can't you really can't parse through those. Uh, and Milan and wouldn't shock me. I mean, you could make yeah. money in this category, honestly. I mean, oh, I, I, think, I do think it's more of a coin flip, especially if you give it out to the whole academies. Milan wouldn't shock me. The two long shots would probably surprise me most, but... None of those three, Midnight Sky, Tenet, or Milan, would really surprise me. I, I just think Tenet deserves something. Bet responsibly, people, please. <laughs> Don't blame us at the end of this. <laughs> Disagree. Well, those are our predictions anyway. That's going to cap it off for Mike, Mike, and Oscar in terms of Oscar's predictions uh, until the end of the week, at least. And we always, if we have changes in our predictions, we do those in our Oscar Sunday morning wrap-up, which will be, obviously, like Mike said a couple times, prior to this Oscar Sunday morning, so you could stay tuned and look forward to that. Otherwise, we do have a big week ahead. I will let Mike tell you about that, but what I want to hear from you, and have you tell me about, dear listener, is what are your predictions, obviously, for this upcoming Oscar Sunday? Where do you see us being right or wrong? You can leave us all of those on our social medias. Uh, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and 
Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including the Apple Podcasts app, where if you are listening to us right now, if you would be so kind as to tap on our logo and leave us a five-star review, those truly help us out and go a long way. Michael, tell the good people what is coming next, and let's get some words of wisdom to end this predictions episode on. It is wise to take an Oscar frontrunner and put her in a song by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> And then follow that up with a. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't rib you anymore for it. It's just it, my reaction was the worst. It didn't help you. It was like the absolute just wet blanket of the season. I was. So if anybody zone. got through that awkwardness by me, uh, on top of the awkwardness by you, I tweeted you it. I warned everyone it was coming. You are a true regular listener of the podcast, and we thank you for this whole season of sticking with us. We really did have a regular. We really did have a bunch of regulars this year, and, and our audience was consistent all year, yeah. no matter what. On that day two enough. or day three, we would look back at the numbers, and we were like, oh, my God, this is a this is a real tribe right now. We, we, we would feel really good, really encouraged to see you guys tuning in episode after episode. So thank you. Those are my words of wisdom for this episode. Thank you to our listeners for sticking with us for this long. We do have a final preview for the Oscars with a guest, hint, hint, uh, his third annual final preview that we will do next. We do have the Oscar morning show. That'll actually be an Oscar Saturday morning show. We think we hope where we're reviewing the indie spirits on Friday and uh, then reviewing those uh, live action shorts at the end of it and maybe changing that pick, if not changing many others, like you said. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see how cold our feet get before Oscar Sunday <laughs> and how much money we really want to lose third year in a row i'm gonna bombard scott feinberg with who's gonna win best picture right off the top of the interview i can't wait you can't go any other way at this point like <laughs> only you and i and well no, then again our regular listening cadre that we've uh uh therefore shouted out because it's true i mean they've they've come back and forth with us and uh if you've made it this far into the episode now you know now you know third year in a row hopefully we uh <laughs> Don't have we don't have a bad day at Guitar Center tomorrow, Michael. <laughs> we won't. I can assure you that. <laughs> Guys, when reality sucks, you can come predict the Oscars with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, making award season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.